Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, 103.7 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. All right, let's see here. Um, speaking of the Astros, I'm being given information here. Today's Astro doubleheader. We're gonna apparently it's it's so important and in a lot of ways it is. I mean, again, that there's a lot of Yankee fans in our area. There's a lot of Astro fans on our area. We are an Astro affiliate. Both games of the doubleheader. First pitch twelve ten, by the way. Second game scheduled for five forty. Both games will be heard right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, and on News Talk 98.5. So we've got a lot of of ways to follow while you're driving around town or you're at work. You want to kind of keep it in the background while you're working. Or just ignore work and listen to the game. You know, the Astros versus the Yankees. I, um, the hot rumor in the New New York media this morning is that, and, and I think this is, I think this sends a bad, I'm not saying it can't work. I just, I'm not sure about the message this would send if it's really true. It's hard for me to believe. But, the talk is that the Yankees are going to pitch Garrett Cole on three days rest so he can pitch against the Astros and then pitch against, uh, who do they play? They play, um, then they play the Orioles and then they play a team that that's a contending team, whoever it is, the Mets. I think it's the Mets. Um, and so in order to get, Garrett, well, if they wanted to do that, why? I, that, that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if you wanted to do that, pitch him. I mean, pitch him last Friday. You know, you can manipulate it in other ways. I mean, you got to start that process like two weeks ago. I, 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 I don't. Look, it may be true. It's hard for me to believe. When you have the lead they have, what are you worried about right now? Now, I understand the lead can evaporate, but you can't you can't take any chances now. And look, Garrett Cole's a workhorse in a lot of ways. It, you know, there may not be any risk, but it just, if it happens, it just hints at, well, we really think these are important games and – it's really important for our psyche that we beat these teams. Now, I understand in New York you got the whole 
you know, the Mets have had a, a nice season and a lot of people think Aaron Judge could go to the Mets and you're battling for the advertising dollars and blah, blah, blah in the New York City area. I get all that, but, I mean, you're the Yankees. Like, I, I don't know. I, that would not make sense to me. But we'll see. that they, they were talking about that quite a bit this morning on WFAN. So we'll see how... Um, if that really happens, because right before the show, when I looked on ESPN.com, it still had undecided, undecided for the Yankees. Um, as far as starting pitchers, the Astros are starting Christian Javier in the first game and Garcia in the second game, which makes sense. And then um, they'll have Verlander and Probably Verlander or Keedy and Odorizzi, I would think, in the, um, I don't know that, against Seattle. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111 if you would like to get in. Speaking of the Mariners, saw that Mitch Haniger. is about to begin a rehab assignment some people consider well going into the season considered him their best player he's not their best player but he's good and Kyle Lewis has got to be coming back relatively soon I would think and he's good now he hasn't played in two years for the better part of two years he's kind of doing the Michael Thomas plastic man thing uh he hasn't played he was a rookie of the year what not this year and a year two years ago or Three years ago, I guess. He didn't play all of last year, and he hadn't played most of this year. Um, and then he comes back, he plays a little bit, then he gets hit in the head and has a concussion. It's like, man, you got to be kidding me. But on paper, at his best, he's one of their best players. And Hanniger is one of their best players. So they've won 14 in a row, and theoretically they've played all almost all season without two of their best players who have been injured. So... Hanniger's starting to rehab now. They got so many good players now, I don't know what they're going to do with them all. Like, now that Julio Rodriguez is what they thought he was, if Hanniger and Lewis come back over the next two or three weeks, I you know, I don't know who who's not going to play, but they got all these they got all these good players. They got they almost got too many good players now. They need to give some to the Astros. Astros don't have enough. They don't have any outfielders. The Mariners got more than what they know what to do with. Real soon. Now, they don't now, but when Lewis and Hanniger comes back, and it should be real soon, they they got more outfielders than, than they got spots. Astros struggle to put out three outfielders every day. Astros need a trade for an outfielder. Especially if Brantley is not coming back, which is possible. You know, Michael talked about it on Tuesday. The um, It's kind of scary, the whole Michael Brantley prognosis from here on out. Um, all right. Um, according to – now, where did you see this, Hannah? Because Jamison Tyon, CBS Sports Line this morning said that it was going to be Garrett Cole and Jamison Tyon, which makes sense. 
But but the Garrett the Jameson Tyon thing makes sense. The Garrett Cole thing doesn't make any sense to me. But you saw Montgomery. I was told by a caller actually just called in said that they saw that they just put it up. I'm assuming then maybe they posted it on the Yankees like Yankees put to Twitter they put who they have the starting pictures. So I'm assuming maybe Twitter, but a yeah. caller called it and told me. Well, Tyon and Montgomery makes sense again. When I got up this morning, I, I tell y'all one of the shows that I watch quite often in the morning is um, Boomer and Geo, which is the original sports talk radio show in New York, WFAN, uh, just on TV. And Boomer wasn't there today, but all morning they were talking about this rumor that Garrett Cole was going to pitch on three days rest. And I'm like, what? There's no way. It just doesn't make any sense. And if this is true, then that make it makes sense. Now, I mean, it, it's just, again, you might do that late in a year, or in the playoffs, late in the year when you're, uh, you know, fighting for the number one spot or the fighting to win a division or get into the playoffs or, or get a first-round off or whatever, but you don't do that. In, there's no reason to do that in July. It's just silly. So I didn't – it sounded really hard to believe, but, you know, they were talking about it quite a bit, but, yeah. Uh, Tyon and uh, and Montgomery make the most make make sense. So we'll we'll see what happens today. The Astros have been playing miserable. Uh, can't feel their position. Can't get a base hit. I mean it that the Astros are acting way too much like the Yankees lately offensively. And I I I keep waiting for signs. And what I mean by that is they either hit a home run or they don't score. That that's one of the big reasons why the Yankees haven't been to the World Series more in recent years, even though they win a lot of regular season games, is because when you get in the playoffs, you can't just hit a bunch of home runs. You're facing the pressure gets to you, one, and two, you're facing really good teams who are laying it all on the line with theoretically really good pitchers. You you, you have to be able to play baseball. And the Yankees haven't been real good at playing baseball in the postseason. Well, the Astros have been miserable at playing baseball so far this year offensively. Uh, You have to be able to do it some. I mean, you know, you're going to hit home runs. That's good. It's great to hit home runs. But it can't be, if I don't hit a home run, I can't score a run. And, And they've been way too much that late. They never advance a runner to third with less than three. It never happens anymore. Now, it did happen last Friday in a loss, ironically, uh, with that AAA lineup they put out there. But, no, I, I'm I'm hoping the Astros can pick it up. They, they have not looked good at all in recent weeks. Um, and the one thing, as an Astro fan, that gives you some hope is they, they've developed a trend of when they get challenged, they perform. When they, they, they're not as good at the Yankees. I've said that for a while now. They're not as good at the Yankees of just, they playing a team that they're better than and they just crush them because, you know, they just go out there and they just crush people. They, they're not as good at the Yankees as that. But when they're challenged, then they play well. Like when they were, cha- they weren't playing well at all going into that New York stretch of nine straight games. And they should have went nine and oh, they went seven and two, which I'll take. Uh, and they should have went 9-0. and They got challenged, and they answered. They responded. And then they played three teams, also ran teams after that, and they struggled to go 5-4. and four. 
and all they had to do was field their position, and they could not get to the level of just fielding their positions. I mean, that's how bad they were in that nine-game stretch. If they just feel their position, even with hardly no hitting at all, they'd have went seven and two. Unbelievable. So we'll see what they do today. Um, the other thing that stuck that sticks out to me that we haven't we talked a little bit about and not a lot about is yesterday. So say I mean I I don't know I always, I thought this was already done, but so say the cheaters yesterday gave Jimmy Garoppolo the uh, permission to seek a trade. Well, I, I thought that was done months ago. <laughs> They've been talking about trading that cat forever. But anyway, where is he going to go? Like, hey, we, we, we did the whole Deshaun Watson thing forever, and then, you know, that that that's a its own fiasco, but we kind of got that answer with the Browns, and then we did the Baker Mayfield thing seemingly forever. Now we got that answer. He's in Orneville. And now Jimmy G, but where is he gonna go? I, you know, I, I, you know, I think the answer to that question is whichever starting quarterback gets injured in training camp. I mean, I think that's the answer to the question. But what if no quarterbacks? No, what if no starting quarterbacks get injured in preseason games or slash training camp? Then where is he going to go? I mean, he seems like, I mean, I guess he could just, he doesn't seem to me like he's what a football version of a gym rat. I could be wrong, but that's just my impression. Um, so I, I could see him just kind of hanging out and, you know, somebody's going to get hurt at some point, you would think. But does he really want to go to a bad team? Like, if Justin Fields gets hurt, if I'm Jimmy G, I say no. I think I'd rather sit than play for the Chicago Bears. So I don't know how that's going to play out. But no, it's just something interesting to keep an eye on. As apparently... um. Cheaters will start fielding offers for Jimmy G. And, you know, Seattle and the Cheaters hate each other. You know, that's the most logical spot. But are they really going to trade him in the division? If they don't think he's very good, why not? Why not? You know, it's not like he's this elite player. So I guess, you know, you could trade him in the division. But why would you want to help a Seattle team potentially that could be reeling? Like, if if their two quarterbacks don't pan out, they could be in trouble, trouble. So why would you kind of offer them a lifeline? I wouldn't do that personally. All right. It's, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, we wanna, we're going to visit with our, our old friend Craig Melanson and a few more thoughts from things. We didn't really cover this yesterday with the from the All-Star game, and he had a Facebook post that I thought was fascinating, and we want to delve into that. We'll look forward into some Sunbelt football, which is going to be happening next week, as well as back at the draft and how the Cajuns got through that. Craig Melanson next 
on the game, 103.7. Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you we're talking SEC. We're going to be talking with RP3 again in the 10 o'clock hour about SEC football media days. We will be in New Orleans to do Sunbelt Conference football media days on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, footnotes, RP3 and company, crunch time will all be broadcasting from New Orleans from the uh, for the game live for SEC Media Day coverage brought to you by Next Home Cutting Edge Realty and the Wetlands. Tune in as the game invades New Orleans next week on Tuesday and Wednesday for SEC Football Media Days. Will Mr. Craig Malonson be joining us there? I will not, unfortunately. I'm uh, recovering from back surgery, so no driving long distances for me. I understand. All right, so Tuesday was the All-Star game, and I watched most of it and, uh, you know, enjoyed some parts of it and, 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 the, and the tribute to Jackie Robinson's wife, Rachel, was, was nice and appropriate, I thought, and it, it amazed me that she's that old. I mean, that makes sense. I mean... Again, the Jackie Robinson thing happened a long time ago, so I get it. But, wow, you never think of her as that old. But you did a Facebook post that really put a lot more into, obviously a lot more thought than I had put into it and brought up a lot of really cool points. Talk to us about that. Well, you know, I didn't realize she was 100 years old either. I mean, because Jackie Robinson died in 1972, so that just seems like, so long ago. I mean, even for those of us, you know, I was uh, nine, ten years old. Remember a little bit about Jackie Robinson from, from you know the the NBC game of the week or whatever it was at the time. But nothing that you would uh, know. I mean, Jackie Robinson was an amazing individual with everything that he accomplished. Uh, and the one thing that I think I, I won't say he regretted, but I know his his wife and his mother would have liked to him have. He, he was so close, he had a semester left for graduating from UCLA. Um, it, 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 just, you know, Mrs. Robinson, though, went on to be a woman that was, uh, uh, you know, well-educated, you know, got her degree from UCLA in nursing, then went on to get a, a master's in psychiatric uh, medicine, and then went on to, to work for the Albert Einstein uh, Foundation. So I, I just – there's just so many – parts to the story with Jackie and Rachel that I don't think people know. Even if you watch the movie 42, uh, you know, it doesn't get into a lot of that. I, I Just two amazing individuals. Now, the connection, you know, 
the other thing that I, I didn't know is all of the the music history and, and the references to him in uh, in the song Center Field that we play, you know, they play all the time at uh, at, at Timor Field during games, and many of us have heard for years. Um, just talk about that. Well, Chuck Ferry wrote the song Brown-Eyed Handsome Man back in the 50s, and at the time uh, it, it, it was uh, a little bit controversial um, with, with, uh, with some of the lyrics, but part of it was about the injustices that blacks and Hispanic that Chuck Berry had seen on a trip out to California. And the last verse uh, tells us uh, that, you know, the brown-eyed handsome man uh, hits a home run to win the game, and the, and the the context of it is that blacks were not allowed in the stadium at the time, but you saw a lot of white people cheering on uh, a black man that may have been hurled uh, racial epithets during the game because he struck out or something like that. But he was the hero at the end of the game. Uh, and, and then it goes on to um, Chuck Berry said at the time or later on that he was thinking of Jackie Robinson and, um, when, um, oh gosh, Fogarty, John Fogarty wrote the song Center Field. You know, he, he talked about it as a kid and, and the line, put me in coach was that, was that, him, was him yelling at the TV, uh, you know, I put me in coach. But he takes the line from, uh, Chuck Berry's song, uh, a 3-2 count with nobody on. He hit a high fly ball into the stands. Round in third, he was headed for home. It was a brown-eyed, handsome man. So he took the last two two lines of, of that verse from Chuck Berry's song and put it into his song, Center Field. And, you know, the song mentions Willie Mays, mentions Joe DiMaggio, mentions uh, the center fielders. And he, he also said that he did not, realize it he, he remembered the song brown eyed handsome man but did not know it was written about jackie robinson or part of it was written about uh jackie robinson but he felt that that's who he was seeing as well as a boy growing up the other thing that struck me after and this is you know it the 42 years i certainly remember the the 1980 all-star game um and this is more of an astro thing that that was really J.R. Richards' last hurrah as a major league pitcher. He was the starting pitcher for the National League in that all-star game. He went two innings. He allowed one hit, no runs, uh, struck out three batters. He made one more start six days later against the Braves and only went three and a third inning. And then that was, you know, the, the darkest hour as of the Astro organization to where they started doubting uh, you know, they were saying all this stuff that he was jealous of Nolan Ryan's big contract because the Astros had just paid Nolan Ryan a million dollars to come from from California Angels to the Astros or he was just dogging it or whatever. And then he has a stroke on July the 30th and collapses on the field. Um, that was, you know, that, that was the last game at Dodger Stadium until Tuesday night. And since that J.R. Richard incident, I, it all, I always think about that whenever we start dogging athletes and suggesting that they're not really hurt. I try to convince myself, don't go there because you just, you just don't know. Well, you know, it, it's funny that 
you know, we kind of text about that a little bit yesterday. Jr. Jr. was a was a, a heck of a picture and fun to watch. And I'm not an Astros fan, especially back then they were in the National League. But I'm watching a uh, a TV show, Body of Proof, and one of the things was they got into uh, someone's mood had changed and everything, and it, it they found out later that he had. Uh, it was a chemical imbalance in his body and everything that something had happened. So you really don't know what's going on. My dad died of a, uh, of a brain aneurysm, and, and you don't know what's going on with people and their physical ailments. Most people told me before my back surgery, uh, I didn't know you were having problems with your back. And it just wasn't something I necessarily talked about. I mean, you can see it at times when I walked, but it, it, you don't know the pain that people are going through. Sometimes and and, we, and athletes are, are are people. I mean, we don't think of them as that way. Sometimes we think of them Superman superheroes, but the, but they're not. Um, the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, I was as the season was going on, and we started watching Julian Brock make progress. I was a little concerned. Well, it'd be great for him, but I'm turned just from a pure UL stand baseball standpoint. I was starting to think, man, this guy might not be here next year. But he wasn't drafted, and all signs point to him um, being the starting catcher. I, I think he's fabulous. We'll see what um, Robertson does, and we already know that Bo Bonds has made the decision to go to the Blue Jays. He's actually reporting uh, to Nanine and today. So what were your thoughts about all that? Well, I think Bo Bonds, his decision was a no-brainer. Someone's going to offer you to pay you money, and, you, and you're probably not going to pitch next year, and they're going to sign you and uh, – and, and move you, and, and, and you're, you're going to rehab in, in a uh, Major League Baseball facility. Uh, smart move by him. Tyler Robinson's all signs are that he's going to sign, but uh, I still think it's, there's about a 10% chance that he might not. Uh, I, I, I'm pro- probably more wishful thinking than anything else. The but reason why he Brock, wouldn't is that he could really make a lot more money in a signing bonus if he has a great year instead of getting drafted in round Fourteen, he could get drafted in round three or four or something like that. Exactly, yeah. and I, I, I know that he want wanted to come back after the season was over or during the summer. He said as much, but it's kind of hard when you have money right there for you. Uh, it's kind of hard to pass it up, right? It, it, especially when you're when you're twenty one years old. Yes, so. But uh, Julian Brock is an, is interesting because he was a, he's a sophomore, was a sophomore. So he's got next year to negotiate. Julian may have been contacted, I don't know, may have been contacted by a team and said, hey, we'd like to draft you. You know, we're going to offer you X number of dollars. And he may have said, no, this is what I'm looking for as a signing bonus. And if I don't get it, I'm willing to come back. Yeah, he said and the Julian, Brewers did. The Brewers oh. did contact him, yes. Okay. I, like I said, I haven't talked to Julian or his family. Um, so I don't know what round that was even. But he, he if he plays a full season like he played the second half of the season or the last two-thirds of the season, he will be a top-ten draft pick and maybe a top-five-round draft pick that, that, you, that you could see out there. Oh, I Julian think. is a special player. <laughs> yes, I agree. I absolutely agree. All right, I know you're not going to be in New Orleans next week, but and we'll be talking about this a ton, and we haven't talked about it really at all on this sh- on this show. Uh, and we'll and we'll kind of kick off the Sunbelt Conference football season at Sunbelt Conference Media Days next week. But 
the Sun Belt at first glance, it, it really is going to be fascinating with all these new teams coming in. It's going to be a very interesting Sun Belt year, I think, this fall. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, we play two out of the three teams on the road, the new teams on the road. So we'll see how that that pans out. But, uh, you know, uh, I was at an event, event a couple of weeks ago with Coach uh, Desimo, and I asked him, you know, I said, not concerns, but what? where is, you know, what are you thinking? I said, how is the offensive line going to be? And he said he doesn't have a concern there. He, he thinks that they've got players. It's just that we don't have um, – The experience. They just don't. Experience, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, not, that's the word I was looking for. He said just the experience is not there like you had the last four years. You know, so – it's going to be a fun football season. I think the Cajuns can take the West again. Uh, now, whether they're they're good enough to to uh, to host the championship game will be interesting to see. I think you're going to see on the on the East side. I think you're going to see Marshall and uh, App State duke it out for the championship. Quite honestly, I don't think Coastal is going to be that team that that they've been the last couple of years. I don't think they'll be quite as good. I, I don't ex- expect that anyway. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think Georgia – I don't know if Georgia State is explosive enough to win that conference, but, man, they are they are a physical football team, and they got a lot of players back. And if their quarterback makes any amount of progress – I've been impressed with Georgia State for the last couple of years. Now, I was – they got off to that awful start last year and then finished 7-1 and one down the stretch, but – I, I, I think Georgia State is old school, and so that might limit them a little bit because their passing game is so inefficient, or at least it was last year. But, man, they can flat-out run the football. They can. It'll be interesting to see where they play Marshall, where they play App State, uh, and, and that could be the deciding factor, not necessarily that Georgia State brings anybody to their games because you could really put uh, the, the people that go to a uh, – Georgia State game inside Lafayette High's gym, so it's it's kind of pathetic for the city that big and that many students there. But it'll be interesting to see where they play those teams. And, and the and the Georgia Southern Georgia State game is is always a toss up because that that's become a rivalry game. Even though Georgia Southern still thinks of App State as their rivalry more so than Georgia State. Uh, to your point, uh, they in four of their last six games are on the road. They play at App, at James Madison, and at Marshall. So the schedule does not exact. You know, James Madison is a program, you know, if you remember when when, when Georgia Southern and App joined the Sun Belt and they came from what was the old 1AA, a lot of people thought it would it would take them a while to, to make a transition, and it didn't take them any time at all to have success. At the, at, and the Sun Belt's better now than it was then, no question. And it's deeper now than it was then. But James Madison's won a lot of games at the FCS level in recent years. And so uh, I think that's a team that a lot of Sun Belt fans might kind of overlook, but they may not be all American W. Well, I'll tell you, Kevin, I, I think it had to do with, uh, I've had this theory for a while up until we started with the, the without having to sit out. But you look at when Troy came into the Sun Belt, they were also very good at the beginning. It was because guys could transfer from places like Florida State or Florida 
or Alabama and Auburn and not having to sit out a year. You saw that when uh, when ULM, when they were Northeastern, when they won the national championship at 1AA. They had a lot of guys from Florida State and other, and other uh, Power Five conferences. They were able to transfer in without having to sit out a year, and that's why those guys went there to play there. And I think that's what you, you might see very something similar. I don't know uh, James Madison's roster that well, but you might see something very similar there as well. All righty, sir. Well, always great catching up with you. Man, your Reds finished the first half strong. Can they keep it up? <laughs> as long as we don't have to play the Cardinals. <laughs> Gosh. Those I th- hate the Cardinals right now. The Cardinals hate y'all too. That's I think that's the issue there. Uh, they I don't I don't think they I think the Cardinals hate the uh, Reds right now more than they hate the Cubs. So I think that's part of your problem, but we'll see. Yeah. All, All right, righty, sir. You, well, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We will take a timeout. Come back on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And remember, today, right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, as well as on News Talk, 98.5 FM. Astros-Yankees day-night doubleheader starting at 12-10 first pitch. And then again, the second game is scheduled to start at 540. So um, could be very interesting to see what happens in those two games as the Astros and the Yankees crank up the second half of the Major League season. Um, I, let me see. I didn't even, I forgot to look at how many other teams are playing today. It, um, it's not a huge schedule. Let's see. It looks like there are, uh, one, two, one, two, three other matchups. Uh, the, the A's and the Tigers are playing a doubleheader, just like the Astros are the Dodger. The punks are playing the, the giants tonight. And the Rangers are playing at the Marlins. Man, that's a matchup. That's a weird matchup. Like, it's one of those matchups you're like, what? The Rangers and the Marlins? I don't think I've ever seen the Rangers or have zero memory of the Rangers and the Marlins ever playing one another. But anyway, that, that that's the matchups for tonight, and we'll see. Uh, so it's not just the Astros and the Yankees, I guess, that are opening on Thursday. It makes you feel a little better while the majority of the league Gets an extra day off, and the Astros begin a stretch where they play, what is it, um, nine of their next 11 games are against the two hottest teams in baseball in the Yankees and the Mariners. And then, you know, in the middle of that, they play the Mighty A's, who suddenly the Astros can't beat. So we'll see how this stretch goes. El Perro Grande is expected back today for the Astros. He's been out uh, on the I.L., and I mentioned earlier, Mitch Haniger tomorrow for the Mariners, scheduled to begin a rehab assignment. We'll see how quickly he gets back. And Lance McCullers for the Astros scheduling a rehab assignment. So you said how it was, said it was really weird for the Rangers playing the Marlins. The last time that they met was July of 2017. 
And the yes. last time they played the same series, they played it at Miami, was 2014. That's what I'm saying. It's just a weird matchup. <laughs> Rangers, Marlins. I don't know. Like, you said it's what? weird. I was like, Have those uh... teams ever played each other? I mean, it just seems like you don't ever see that matchup. Yes, but there you go. Now, again, we talked about that earlier this week. That's something that's going to change with the schedule next year. It's going to be a lot more of an equitable schedule where everyone's going to play everyone. Not the same amount of times. You're going to play your division more than anybody still, but every year everyone's going to play everyone starting next year. So a little bit different, and that's going to impact things. Now, we won't. We're going to think we know. We won't really know how it will impact. But, no, it does matter what divisions you play. And, you know, some teams have the little tougher schedules on paper. Now, again, this is not football. This is baseball. Like, if your natural rival happens to be really good, then you have a tougher – on paper, you have a tougher schedule. But it's like the Astros had an easy schedule this past weekend. Got beat two out of three by arguably the worst team in baseball. Because the Astros were, whatever reason, thinking about the All-Star break and, and, and the A's, who should have been limping to the All-Star break, um, they played inspired baseball and beat the Astros just because the Astros, or the Astros lost, basically. All they did was hit the ball to people, and the Astros say, well, I can't feel my position, and so we want you to win. I mean, it's just a bunch of foolishness. But that's more of a football thing than a baseball thing. That's why... When I hear people say, oh, the A- in baseball, oh, and they said it about the Astros going into that new, oh, the Astros have this really good record, but they haven't beaten anyone. They, they, they really beat up on a bunch of bad teams. That is a football comment. As going back to our old skip, that's a football com- comment. This is baseball. And I, I, I don't, don't buy that. When you hear that, don't buy it. It's silliness. Because... The thing that's different about baseball, there's many things different, but one of them is when you play baseball, you're not just playing against the opponent, you're playing against the game. The other sports are not really like that. I I, I don't think people who aren't real baseball fans don't get that, and I think even baseball fans don't get it. When you're playing, the Astros weren't just playing against the A's last weekend. They were playing against the game or the Piper. And so those things, it's just different. Like, so don't buy this, or so-and-so won all these games, but it was against bad teams, and so they're not really that good. That's a football, maybe a basketball thing. That is not, that is awful baseball analysis. Don't ever think that. I'm telling you. Don't ever buy it. Shouldn't even say it. But if someone's going to say it, just dismiss it. It means nothing. It means nothing. Uh, that That's a football comment is what that is. I mean, it, that, that's just bad analysis. That's football. But, um, no, and, and so we'll see uh, what happens in, in these games. But, no, these next couple of weeks are going to be very interesting. You got guys like. I mentioned twice already today, Hanniger and McCullers going to rehab. What impacts will those guys come make on teams when they come back? It's almost like, you know, getting McCullers. He hadn't thrown a pitch all year. It's almost like picking up a free agent pitcher. So let's just say, I don't really think they're going to do it, but let's just say the Astros pick up the Reds' ace. <clears throat> a lot of people, or some people are speculating that the Astros 
or one of the teams interested in him. I don't really think it's going to happen. But let's say it does. You're really adding two starting pitchers then because McCullers hadn't pitched all year. I mean, he's on your payroll. He's been in your dugout, but he hadn't pitched all year. So it's very interesting. And plus, anybody else that the Astros or any of these other contenders pick. I mean, all of a sudden you look up and it's it's July the 21st. I mean, it's the trade deadline, by the way, is no, it's not July 31st like it was for years. It's actually August 1st. Just one more day, but it's still just it, – it's actually August 1st. So we'll – um. You know, just something else that could be happening. I I say don't wait till the very end. I say if you want Luis Castillo, pick him up straight for him now. Don't wait. If you want, you know, all the rumors you hear, Ian Hopper, Gregory Soto, let's go, Cat. What, what you waiting for? Sign him now. Trade for him now. I mean, it, you know, they got Justin Verlander at the, at the hint – at the sound of the of the whistle in the trade deadline, the tra- it looked like the, it looked like it was over, and then then you then you hear oh they got Justin Verlander so and it's and they still won the World Series and he's still an ace pitcher for the Astros so it doesn't really matter when you sign him but I I don't know that that these last nine games have really gotten on my nerves so i've um they've played so poorly and looked so bad I'm like and they got all these injury issues now that I'm like, all right, let's go T- time to stop lounging around. It's time to get serious, starting to sniff August here. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour next on the game one o three seven Lafayette one o four one Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Saints legend Roman Harper, and you are listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to Kevin Foote. Footnotes on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. want to remind you, we've been telling you about our brand new text club, and if you join it, you could win great Prizes like tickets to see comedian Burt Kreischer at the Cajun Dome on September the 16th. And the way you win those tickets is by, join again, joining the Game Text Club and texting BERT, B-E-R-T, to 283-8100. Text BERT, B-E-R-T, to 283-8100. Once you're a member, you're eligible to win tickets like Burt Kreischer, live at the Cajun Home, courtesy of the Games Text Club. All right. We um, talked mostly baseball with the second half of the season, starting a little football. Actually talked a little more Sunbelt football than I was planning when we had Craig Melanso on. And um, we'll be talking lots of Sunbelt football next week. It is... um, for Sunbelt Conference football media days in New Orleans. And it's a two-day event this year because you have so many teams. You have four new teams coming on. And um, it's, you know, anytime you bring in new teams, there's new rivalries, there's new, it's a new series. And, you know, one of these teams, or two of the teams, the Cajun, from a Cajun perspective anyway, 
you already have some knowledge of. Uh, Cage, longtime Cajun football fans have tons of knowledge about Southern Miss. Been playing Southern Miss in football for a long, long time. In fact, it, it, it still amazes me. I mean, for 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 decades, uh, Southern Mississippi was the model program for the Cajuns. I mean, most most Cajun fans in the eighties and 90s aspired the goal was could we just become southern miss that was the model program for a lot of cajun fans way back in that era and couldn't beat them on the road except for that one magical game when mike lemoyne hit a 50-yard field goal and they they came from behind and beat southern miss in hattiesburg for the longest time when they played in hattiesburg they would just get thrashed it was like saints vikings in that era Similar area. Like, they would just get – they wouldn't lose. They would get soundly thrashed, skull drug, just the way it was. And now they're in the conference with Southern Miss, and Southern Miss is at the bottom trying to aspire to get up, and the Cajuns are the king of the hill. Very ironic there for us longtime Cajun uh, follow football followers. But it's – um. And then, obviously, they played Marshall in the bowl game last year and have some um, connection there. So, Old Dominion, uh, not so much. James Madison, uh, not so much. Of course, when I think of James Madison, I think of Haley and him being on the cheaters and Saints getting cheated and very bad thoughts there. So, want to beat James Madison because of him. That'll do it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. We'll get back into some SEC media talk later in the second hour. We'll be back on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. If you would like to get in, the game hotline is 706 0111. 706 0111. All right. This report that we heard this morning that the Yucks have signed Kyle Rudolph tight end. Man, how juicy and multi-layered is that? Potentially. Could end up mean nothing. But my little saint's mind, um, a lot of things, you know, come to mind. One... <clears throat> For me, and I'm sure some of you as Saints fans out there, this upcoming season is law is a is about exercising some demons, some bad breaks, some um, unfortunate things that have happened to the Saints that uh, in in the last four or five years when they've been among the winningest teams in football, and yet the seasons didn't quite end correctly. 
or like you would have hoped, large, largely due to injury and bad breaks and getting cheated. Um, Kyle Rudolph, yes, he played for the Midgets last year, but if you're a Saints fan, Kyle Rudolph is a Viking. And, of course, the Vikings <clears throat> played a huge role in some of those demons that Saints fans are hoping to get exercised. He is now signed with the Yucks. You know, Kyle Rudolph was on that team. He didn't have anything to do with the play, but he was on the Viking team uh, when the Minneapolis miracle took place. He was also the one that caught the game-winning touchdown at, while pushing off um, in, to, in at the end of the, what year was that, 2019 season, which was... Uh, in my estimation, and I will go to my grave believing this to be absolute true, the Saints were cheated more that year than any year in the history of the franchise. Dwarf, you know, mo- most people admit the Saints were cheated in the in the um, 2018 NFC Championship game. The 2019 season was way worse, got cheated way worse than they were ever cheated in that 2000. 2000- 18 championship game, in my opinion. But it was um, a season of of getting the shaft is what it was. And it was culminated by that very fitting Kyle Rudolph pushing off on the game-winning touchdown. And so, man, again, another opportunity to exercise yet another demon. The other thing that's juicy about this is from a Yucks perspective, a lot of people don't believe that Gronkowski's really retiring. They think this is one of these Casper to quitter retirements, one of these Tom Brady retirements, and that he's going to play this year. Now, maybe not all 17 games. I don't know what to believe. Someone like Gronkowski, who knows what he's going to do? He probably doesn't even know what he's going to do. But there are there are multiple people in the in the national media who all they think about twenty four seven is Tom Brady, um, who believe that Gronkowski's coming back. Most of I don't know. Most of us have seen all the statistics. Like I saw one this morning when when Tom Brady is with Gronkowski over this however many years I forget the time period. He's thrown in the red zone. He's thrown 40 inter- touchdowns and zero interceptions. Of course, as a Saints fan, my first reaction to that was that's because when the Saint Yucks, unless they get a turnover, when the Yucks play the Saints, they don't even get to the red zone. But um, um, I digress, kind of. Um, but, no, it's obvious that, he, that Gronkowski's been a, a safety blanket for Brady um, for a long time. And if he's not there, it could make a big difference. If the speculation of some that he's not really retiring, does the signing of Rudolph mean that their speculation may not be come to fruition? Is it a sign that they really think, or is it just an insurance blanket uh, for a former 
kind of top-notch tight end who's kind of in his last days. So as an NFL player at the very end of his career. I don't know. I'm just saying it's juicy. It's multi-layered. There's so many thoughts when I first saw that report this morning that went through my mind as a Saints fan, as an NFL fan. Like, what does that all mean? And what are the possibilities down the road? Man, that would be nice. I'm just saying, there are some very juicy opportunities to feel really petty and really good. Or it could just be, as if as a Saints fan, should we just say, we want nothing to do with the Minnesota Vikings or their ex-players ever. <laughs> I, got, I could see that argument as well. Oh, man, those people, the nightmares. The nightmares. I mean, it's funny. Again, there are a lot of Saints fans who hate the Falcons more than anything. The Vikings have done way more to the Saints than the Falcons ever dreamed of doing. I mean, way more heartache. Now, they've the Falcons have beaten the Saints more than the Vikings have because they're in their division and they play way, 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 way more. But in terms of just utter heartbreak and just in terms of the significance and the timeliness of so many of their – no, I – the Vikings have done way more to the Saints than the Falcons have, in my opinion. Uh, I, I hate them more than the Falcons. I, the, the older I get, the more I hate them. So it's just um, just a very juicy piece of news. Follow it away. We'll see what happens. The game hotline, again, is 706-0111, 706-0111 if you would like to get in. We will, in the next segment, shift gears back to SEC football. We talk it to RP3. Um, I don't know. Is he going to big time us again today? Is he going to be eating um, Chick-fil-A? Again, I, I accept the food excuse over just about any other one. So I, we gave him a pass there. But we'll see how that plays out. But got lots to talk to. Going to get his impressions about Billy Napier's speech which I'm sure you know compared to some of these other guys Billy doesn't he's he's not worried about what he said I mean he's gonna say the right things in a press conference but he's not gonna worry about putting on some sort of show or anything that's not that's not Billy so that's not gonna happen but still want to get his impressions um I heard Raymond's interview with Bill Hancock and he said something that I think a lot of us forget and I try to uh, remind myself of, and we'll talk about that some in the next segment as well. So looking forward to shifting gears back to SEC and talking to Raymond as we um, wind that. That winds up today, and then as soon as that's over, start looking forward to next Tuesday and Wednesday where we um, will have Sunbelt Conference Media Day and. I don't know that we'll get to that today, but 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 we may. We will see. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111 if you would like to get in. Uh, Astros-Yankees today, and if you haven't heard, they will be, you can hear, it's a 12-10 first pitch. Very unusual. Thursday, 
day-night doubleheader at Minute Maid Park. 12-10 first pitch, and then 5-40 first pitch for the night game. And you can hear all that action right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, and uh, 98.5, News Talk 98.5 FM. You know, one of the things as we're about, what, nine or ten days away from the trade deadline, that I often struggle to understand, and yet I guess you can get it, is I hear a lot, there's going to be a lot of analysis that how your team plays in the next week or so could impact whether teams make them declare themselves as contenders or sellers. And there are so many teams that are still in the hunt right now. Now, that doesn't mean that there, you know, a lot of those teams or several of those teams, if you ask me, do I think they're going to make it? I would say, no, I don't think they're going to make it. But that doesn't mean they should also give up and just start selling all their players right now. Now, if you're the A's, it's not happening. You can sell. I mean, you might kind of own the Astros right now, but that doesn't mean you can, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you're going anywhere with the season and the, and, and they and they could sell. And hopefully Sean Murphy ends up with the with the Astros. But in my opinion, but it's um, it, it it's it's gonna it it will mean that whether it's right or wrong, what teams do in this next in these next six or seven games, depending on where they're playing, three game series like from now to like a week from tomorrow, like next going into next Friday, this next week of play. I think whether if if a team loses four in a row, that could drastically change what their plan is and the negotiations that are going on for some of these teams that are kind of, you know, I'm not talking about like the Mets and the Astros and the Yankees. They could lose four in a row and still be in decent position to win their division. But but I'm talking about teams that are kind of more on the borderline. And if they lose, if they start out for, you know, sometimes you take a break, it helps you, and sometimes it doesn't help you. We talk about that in all sports. Rest can make you rested or rusty. We've seen both ways. And so you you stay out. A lot of these teams are going to be staying out for four straight days. Are they going to come back hot or are they going to come back cold? Were their minds too far away from baseball, Jordan? You know, we'll see. And so if you come back and you're kind of in the race, but kind of you need to get going, and you lose four straight out of the gate starting Thursday or Friday, hmm, that could change some some front office. Say, oh, we're not really that good, and uh, we're we're not going to be buyers. We're going to be sellers. And so just some of these – you know, individual games that aren't real high profile, like Astros, Yankees is going to be built up bigger than it really is. But other games are going to be maybe a little more significant than we're giving them credit for right off, you know, right off at first glance because they could, the result of those those games, if they're part of a four or five game losing streak coming out of the All-Star break, could impact who's traded and who's not traded over the next week and a half. So just something to keep a mind on, an eye on as a 
a baseball fan or especially as a casual baseball fan going into the trade deadline, which, again, this year is August the 1st instead of the more traditional July 31st. I think it's like at 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon on August 1st is the actual deadline. All right. Let, we'll take a timeout. And we'll, on the other side, hook up with our friend RP3 from Atlanta and revisit SEC Football Media Days. We'll do that at the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time for us to head out to Atlanta for the event that just means more. SEC, SEC, SEC. Here is the game's SEC Media Days report, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Rope Soap and Dope. All right, the man decided to eat his chicken sandwich for breakfast this morning, right? All right, and I got me a nice, quieter spot. Did 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 you eat your chicken sandwich for breakfast this morning? Is that a true rumor? All right. Hello? Raymond. Hello? RP3 is being a cantankerous <laughs> guest the last two days. The man is is not um not sure what's going on. We'll try to um figure that out. But <clears throat> again, we're about to shift gears back to SEC Media Days, day four. Think about it. Like I talked about earlier this week. It's going to take a week once they finish all this expansion to do. I don't know. It's like, man, enough. How how much can you can you say if once it gets to be a week? That will be a little too much. But for now, it's just four days. This is day four of SEC Media Day. And we'll, we'll try to ask this question again. Is there any truth to the rumor that you just went ahead and ate your chicken sandwich for breakfast this morning? <laughs> no, brother. No, no, no. It's been a, it's a, it's a little bit of a chaotic final day here uh, at SEC Media Days. I have not had a chance to go sample yet another delicious number one with extra pickles next door uh, at the Chick-fil-A that's connected to the College Football Hall of Fame. We had a storm system come through here, so... Uh, the second one in a matter of four days. So it's a, it's a little uh, chaotic here this morning, but um, all is good right now, my friend. I will Don't you worry. I will take care of that other Chick-fil-A sandwich just for you. In honor of you, yes. I will take care of it. I, I, I wanna, we, wanna, we need to make sure that happens. All right. Yesterday, Coach Napier spoke in the afternoon, and uh, I mean, you've heard Billy talk many times, obviously. I doubt there were any surprises. But what what, what were one or two of the more interesting things that he said during his talk? He made sure to make it a, a kind of make it a point to uh, have everyone kind of temper their expectations. Um, you know, he said, look, we're, we're in the process of, you know, putting together his process, right? And as you and I know, Kevin, it, it took a while with the Raging Cajuns, but at the end of that first season, they started to kind of turn a corner and they built that momentum and it carried over to year two, three, and four. Um, so he made sure to make that a point. He also, you know, got uh, a little emotional 
not once but twice. I had asked him about, you know, what were the lessons that he learned as a first-year head coach during his four years in Lafayette, and uh, what is he implementing now? And he was extremely gracious about his time with the Raging Cajuns. Um, he continued to refer to them as Louisiana, by the way, which was a nice little uh, tip of the hat to them instead of saying adding Lafayette to it. And uh, he got a little choked up at the end there, talking about his time and how much it meant to him and how grateful he was to everyone back there. And then he he, he nearly lost it. The next question up was from a reporter from Chattanooga that asked him about his late father. And uh, Billy almost came to tears uh, talking about that. So, you know, the, the reaction to his press conference was, yeah, someone told me, he says, Billy's kind of the anti-Florida coach. He's not your typical Florida Gators head coach. You know, he's down to earth. He doesn't seem to be wound too tight. You know, Jim McElwain was wound too tight. He was filled with too much anxiety and stress. So was Dan Mullen. Uh, Will Muschamp was a maniac. So, you know, here's this guy who's sensible down-to-earth, very kind of plain-spoken. And that was kind of the, the big thing, a big takeaway for a lot of folks there was was Billy's demeanor and how it was so non-Florida football coach-esque, right? It was not what you expect from the Gators head football coach. He made a good impression, and it was a day of that. It was, you know, we had Billy in the afternoon, and then behind him was Mark Stoops, and he's kind of built the same way. And in the morning, we had Sam Pittman from Arkansas, who's, you know, as down home as they get. So it was it was a day filled with not a lot of bravado, if, if you will, uh, day three of SEC media days. Well, I mean, I think Billy has a soul, unlike his former head coach. But 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 I, I think his assistant coaches would tell you that that uh, that uh, that he's wound a little more tight. I think they're going to learn he's wound a little more tighter than they're thinking. But uh, hopefully, he has more success than Coach McElwain and them. W- what about Kentucky? Because we talked about them on. On Monday, I believe it was, as as one of the potential dark horses, after examining them and hearing people talk about them and hearing Stoops talk, do, do, how aggressive are you going to be from here on out talking about Kentucky as one of the dark horses of this conference? Well, all media members uh, have the ballot to fill out, so we have to fill out the ballot for the all-SEC preseason team and you also pick the predicted order of finish. Uh, I have Kentucky as the number two team in the in the East, and I think they very well could be the third best team in the conference this year. Look, Stoops knows defense. I mean, he was big game Bob's, you know, go-to guy as the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. He understands defense, and his Kentucky teams had been have been led by their defense, right? But the, the interesting thing about the Wildcats this year is that. For the first time since he's been there, they have a legitimate starting quarterback with Will Levis. They have a guy that is more than likely going to earn first-team preseason recognition at wide receiver, a guy that could earn first-team preseason recognition at running back. So they have weapons now at Kentucky, and they have the defense to boot, and they kind of play with a little bit of the chip on their shoulder. I mean, the standard now at Kentucky, which is crazy, Kevin, for you and I, for Kentucky football, you know, the, the only thing Kentucky does these days is win 10 games a year. So, you know, they, this isn't the new kid on the block. This isn't 
oh, you know, we're just happy to be here. No, he's built something there in Lexington where they expect now to win. The, the, the floor is winning 10 games a year and going to a good bowl game. The next step is trying to compete for a division title. Do I believe they're as good as Georgia? No. Do I, do I think they could possibly upset Georgia? Yes, but I still think Georgia, because of their schedule, and their schedule is, I don't want to say soft, but it's, it's not as um, challenging as, say, others in the conference. I think Georgia's going to get the benefit of the scheduling, and even if they drop the game to Kentucky, I think Kentucky may drop another game, but you're going to see them in a really good bowl game, and they're going to be a really, really good program, and that's what Stoops has built there, and I don't see them taking a step back this well, year. Some of the stuff I've, team again. If some of the stuff I've heard comes to fruition this, this year, SEC beat riders won't know what to do if Mississippi State and Kentucky finish second in the two respective divisions. Oh, it's a, it's it, it's it's an absolute kind of crazy feel to this media day because the conference is, of course, top heavy like it always is, right? So, Bama and Georgia, we it feels like we're on a collision course for them to meet for the championship yet again, right? And and that seems like that's the conversation we have every single year. Everyone else, it's it's wide open, Kev. It, it just is. There's not that much of a difference between LSU, Arkansas, Auburn, and A&M in the West, and Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I mean, I struggled to put together my ballot for the West. Like, I go, oh, well, I go, I'm going to put Alabama one, but how do I rank the others? Because there's not that much of a difference. And now, throwing a monkey wrench into things, and we touched on it yesterday when I spoke to you, was Texas A&M. Okay, their their leading wide receiver, their senior, a guy that Jimbo Fisher was bringing to media days, has now been suspended indefinitely. And they had another guy leave the program, so they already have a thin wide receiving core and a questionable quarterback. So that puts a lot of huge question mark now on whether or not A and M can be the second best team in the West or the third best team in the West. And I think that opens the door for if LSU, if Brian Kelly can coach him up. Arkansas, can they handle their tough, daunting schedule? Because it is an absolute bear of a schedule. And, look, I picked Ole Miss as the number two team. They're coming off their first 10-win regular season. They have a lot of talent coming back. they got to figure out quarterback. And they got a lot of guys coming back on defense. But I like Ole Miss to be the second-best team in the West this coming year. But it would not surprise me if that second-best team is Arkansas. It wouldn't surprise me. If it's Mississippi State, it wouldn't surprise me if it's LSU. I think after you get through the top two teams, Kevin, I think it's absolutely wide open in the Southeastern Conference this year. What do you think about the fact that today, of the three teams that are on the schedule and the coaches to speak today, the two that have the most pressure to win this year are speaking today, uh, Auburn and Texas A&M and Harson and, 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 and Jimbo. What do you think? Look, I was on the air when uh, Harson took to the podium, but I was told what he said, and then I got, I got to see some clips of what he said. You know, he came out and said, you know, a lot of y'all didn't think I was even going to be here. And then he addressed the coup that was that had tried to be uh, – that was attempted in the offseason, and he said he, – he stood right there on stage and looked and he said, it didn't work. So that's a level of bravado and immense confidence from an embattled coach that sat there on the podium and said, 
hey, your coup didn't work. I'm still here. I'm coaching this team. Now, whether or not that means that he's going to be able to use this as a rallying cry for his players, you know, we see it all the time. A lot of times kids will rally around their coach. Um, the administration is an absolute dumpster fire right now at Auburn. Uh, I could see that. But once again, he's only in his first, you know, he's entering his second season at the helm of the program. And Auburn has unrealistic expectations, like most teams in the SEC. They compare themselves to what Saban does at Alabama. And that's not necessarily fair to any coach, to be perfectly frank with you. And because what he's done and what he's doing is on another level, right? So, but I could see them because of everything that's happened. If they struggle and they're like a five, if they're a six-win team this year, yeah, I could see them getting fired. As for Jimbo, I don't know if he has pressure or not. I think we believe he has pressure on him, Kevin, from the outside because we're like, look, they're spending hundred million dollars on facilities there, and they're paying him nearly a hundred million dollars to coach, and losing four games a year shouldn't get it done, right? But I don't know if A&M and their leadership feels the same way that we do in the media or national media feel about it, where we think, well, Jimbo should be, you know, there should be pressure there in College Station. You you run off at the mouth. You're spending all this money. You're getting all these kids on the NIL bills. I don't know if A&M would pull the plug on Jimbo if they lose four games again this year. Now, next year, that could be a different story. But I don't really think he's on the hot seat all that much, to be perfectly frank with you. That's at least the impression I'm getting from people I trust that cover the team and are connected to the program. They don't feel like he's uh, don't feel like he's on the hot seat. Uh, I I hear what you're saying, but like you said, they're. I mean, they they shouldn't. When you're putting out the money that they're supposedly putting out, or reportedly putting out, and nil deals and all this stuff, they're not doing this to lose. Correct, but it's a weird. You're you're exactly correct. Logically speaking, he should be on the hot seat, right? It, 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 it doesn't make any sense. I mean, but yet here we are, and we're talking about since he's been there, they've had recruiting violations. They beat LSU in the seven overtime game, and they get championship rings made from it. Okay, and he wars with Saban, and they beat Saban. He finally beat Saban last year, and they beat Alabama, but they still lost four games. They lost to they lost to Mississippi State last year, Kevin. You That's know what and, I'm and saying. They I just get into the playoff a few years ago, but he hasn't won a division title. He hasn't won a conference championship. He hasn't got the team into the playoff. So, how much longer can you be just good? when you're paying someone to be magnificent. Right, that's what I'm and, – and I don't know that he's going to get fired. I don't know that he's going to get fired, but I think in the court of public opinion, he is going to get crushed if they don't finish second in the West. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think he probably should be crushed, and, and, and rightfully so, because if you're going to have that bravado and you're going to talk that he's talked and, and done everything that he's done – you got to deliver. You know, you have to deliver. No one's – you can't lose four games a year when you're getting paid nearly $100 million to be a coach, Kev. You just can't. Right. That's not what they're paying. That's not what those boosters especially, are paying. Again, now, look, especially, again, especially – Here's the crazy thing, Kev, and people forget this. Do you realize that the records of Jimbo Fisher and Kevin Sumlin are the exact same record? 
through the through through this point in their careers as the head coach of the Aggies. The only difference is, is that Sumlin had one guy win a Heisman, and they couldn't wait they couldn't get couldn't wait to get rid of Kevin Sumlin. So, aren't you hiring Jimbo Fisher to be better than Kevin Sumlin right now? He's not. He's just not. All right. One more thing. When you talk to Hancock, he he may he he said something that I try to remind myself when we talk about tradition and and change. Um, a lot of times it depends on when you were born. You know, he brought up that a lot has changed since the twenties. Things that we thought were uh, the the way that they should be, the thing, the way that it was, and we grew up in the seventies or eighties, are not the way it was. You know, when when p- generations older than us, so changes is is very relative, and I think that's a good point. So I say all that to say. Um, this whole Florida Georgia thing is that going to change? Oh, you know, it's interesting about you know Kirby made it a point when he took to the podium yesterday about he would like to see the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, which they don't call that uh, by the way anymore, but I still do. I also still call uh, the Texas uh, Oklahoma game the Red River Shootout because well, I, I just that's how I'm built. So. You know, he made it a point that he says it hurts recruiting, not having it on campus, and that the game should be home and away. So, I don't know. I mean, that's something that's situated with the city of Jacksonville. You know, there's obviously there's a political element to that. You know, that, that uh, with local politics and, and state government as well for having that game in Jacksonville and the economic boost it gives to that greater metropolitan area. So I don't know. I don't sense that they would change the venue for that. But once again, as you pointed out, when he, uh, the executive director of the college football playoff spoke to me, you know, change is happening, right? They, they had to change from the BCS, and they have adapted into this new system. And before the BCS, there was a poll system. So even in you and I's lifetime, they have drastically changed how we crown a national champion in college football from – not even having a game to decide a champion to then having a selected game decide a champion and then computers helping us pick a championship matchup. And now we have a playoff. So it's drastically changed in the last 40 to 50 years. But so could I see them doing that? Maybe. Um, But I think politics are going to be involved there because that game has been played in Jacksonville for our entire lifetime with the exception of a few instances. So I don't know if they would ever change that venue. All righty, sir. Well, we appreciate um, your time as always this week. Uh, have a safe trip back, and then we can regroup a little bit and get ready for Sunbelt Conference football media day. That's right, but you and you and I are going to be road tripping down to New Orleans on Monday. You ready for that? Uh, I don't know if I am or not, but we'll see. It depends on what the Astros – depends on Hannah's Mariners, I think. Oh, so, so we're, we're going to put all the responsibility at the feet of the young producer extraordinaire. Yes, it depends on how nice here? they are to my Astros. <laughs> we'll see how that but goes. I'll see you when I get back, brother. All right, take care. Bye, bud. That was the game's SEC Media Days report presented by Bordelon Furniture and Rope Soap and Dope. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. July 22, 1967. The Atlanta Braves establish an MLB record for number of pitchers called upon in one inning. Five used in the ninth inning of a 5-4 loss to St. Louis. 
That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 at Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you, the game would like to help you win an Apple Watch. All you have to do is join our brand new text club. Simply text GAME, G-A-M-E, to 283-8100. That's text GAME to 283-8100, and you will be eligible to win an Apple Watch as well as all kind of other great prizes like Astro tickets and more. The Game Text Club. Find out more, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. Uh, I do think, as per our conversation um, today with RP3 from Atlanta, that... Auburn is going to be a fascinating – you want a, a team to follow this year. Not that I think they're going to be contenders or anything like that, but you want to talk about have a chip on your shoulder. I mean, the, the players that support Coach Harson and Coach Harson and his staff, they're going to have about as big a chip on your shoulder as you can have after this turbulent offseason. And so you want to talk about out to prove people wrong. Um, And again, there are, you know, not saying that there should be a favorite or anything because they shouldn't be. But again, other than Georgia and Alabama, who's not beatable? And for that matter, Auburn almost beat them last year. I mean, I I, I don't uh, – now, the trick, and to Raymond's point, when he was discussing the East race in, in terms of Georgia and Kentucky, a lot of times the trick is not, not who you can beat, like A&M beating Alabama. It's – who can you lose to? Like, it's one thing to say, well, I, we're good enough to beat Alabama, but are you consistent enough to beat everybody else that you're better than on paper? So a lot of times that's the the, the mark of, a, um, of how much progress a team has made. And I'm talking about in college football is uh, it's not can you on a given Saturday – play at a level that could beat one of the best teams in the country. But how good are you when you don't have to get up to play at beating a team that you're probably 10 points better than on paper, but you can't beat them, which goes into the point I've always made and made for a long time. College football teams should not be able to schedule their own games. You, the, there should be somebody, an independent entity that schedules your games. and Because already, the Jimbo Fishers of the world, 
they're like, I mean, depending on it fluctuates one or two, depending on your schedule each year. But the Jimbo Fishers of the world, most of them, when their season starts, they're they've already they're already like four and five and or six and So when a when a when a when a program like A and M, uh, say goes eight and four, they're really like three and four or four and four. That's really their record for that year. They because because they have three or four or five wins before the season starts. And so if you lose three or four games, you're really a 500 team. Now, I know your record doesn't say that, but that's really what you are. And so it, it's uh, that, that's why I say in the court of public opinion, if, if A&M doesn't finish second, and again, most people are like Raymond. They think there's Alabama and then there's a bunch of teams that all look about the same. And it just depends on who gets the calls, who gets the breaks, who can stay healthy, uh, who can maybe overachieve a little bit. But in, 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 the, in the case of Ole Miss, like if I hear, um, you know, like Alabama, who always seems to be great on the offensive line, their, their biggest weakness is the offensive line. I think they're going to coach that and make that better. So when I hear a Lane Kiffin offense, their biggest question is quarterback. I think so much of what they do is system that I, I it, now if I heard that Ole Miss's biggest question mark is their defense cannot stop the run at all, then I'd be much more concerned than a Lane Kiffin team's biggest question being the quarterback. He's going to coach up the quarterback. He's going to scheme the quarterback. That he has the skill set to take care of. So I, I kind of get Raymond's logic of, of, of in a very, very, very tight race, um, picking Ole Miss second. Um, obviously, it's far from a guarantee because it's so competitive between those teams, and I get that. But I get that logic. I think uh, that that if I hear well, their biggest if the if 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 their biggest question really is quarterback. You know, that might be the popular uh, statement or the popular analysis. That doesn't mean it's true because some people, that's all they they care about is quarterback, 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 quarterback. They think everything's about quarterback. But if that's really accurate, then I kind of lean towards, I kind of like that old Miss selection, if that's really accurate, because he, he'll, he'll scheme the quarterback. I, I would have be pretty confident in that. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show. Next on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you to join the game clubhouse by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. If you join the Rewards Club, you could win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse 
or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen or perhaps a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, as well as make you eligible for all kind of other great prizes like Astro tickets in the future. Uh, The Game Clubhouse, you need to join by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. All right, we've heard multiple reports I've even been told that Domingo Herman may be coming off the the, the the IL to start game two today. I'm not sure. Uh, it could be. It, it seems like Jamison Tyon and, and Montgomery are the two starters, but we don't know for sure. Uh, there's every reason to believe that the Astros' two starters in today's doubleheader are going to be Javier and Garcia, but it sounds like there's a little bit of guessing going on still for the Yankees. You know, I wonder if it's possible it might change depending on who wins or loses the first game or how many bullpen guys you got to use in the first game. But, man, it seemed like you would just said it. You're coming off three days off. Uh, I, I don't get what the big – you know, maybe they're just playing games. You know, obviously they don't like the Astros very much, and I get that. Um, maybe they're just playing mind games with the Astros. That's what all this – uncertainty is that I still find it hard to believe that they would actually pitch Garrett Cole on three days rest. I, that's just hard for me to believe. Um, if they would, I, that sounds a little bit on the crazy side for, for late July, but we'll see. Um, again, maybe it'll depend on how many guys they got to use in the bullpen. Like if you have to use your bullpen pretty heavy in the first game, why would you put a guy who's coming off the the IL in as starting in game two? That that wouldn't seem to make sense to me. I would wait a day or two to do that. So you know, I guess it could depend on uh, on what happens in, in game one. El Pedro Grande is expected back for the Astros, so they hopefully um, the line. You know, uh, Icky. Kyle Tucker, he 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 went into the All-Star game on a slump. He went 0-2 and, and did not have two good at-bats in the All-Star game. So, you know, he didn't get all that much rest uh, during the All-Star break. So hopefully he can start hitting. We'll see what happens. Remember, all those games can be heard right here on the game as well as News Talk Radio 98.5 today. Appreciate the phone calls. Appreciate our guest. Y'all have a nice day.